0: Well, we have a really short passage today that's going to really launch us into some other parts of the Bible. So I'm going to start in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. This is God speaking, and He says, "...and I will give you shepherds after My own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding." And I want to really answer a question today. What does it mean to be a shepherd, an elder, a pastor, a leader, a, a servant in God's church, what does it mean to be a shepherd after God's heart? For, for one thing, it means to care for God's people the way that God cares for his people. That's what it means. To be after somebody's heart is to have their heart beat. It's, it's to be passionate about the things they're passionate about, to love the things they love, to resist and oppose and hate even the things that they hate. So how does God care for us? That's another question that we could dig into this morning. Well, he God knows us intimately, right? Everything about us, the best and the worst, He knows it. And he, and he hasn't gone anywhere. That's the amazing miracle, right? God knows us to the bottoms and loves us to the heights. He knows us inside and out. He loves us passionately. That's what it means to be a, a shepherd after God's heart. How does He shepherd us? He knows us intimately. He loves us passionately. He corrects us patiently. Aren't you thankful God's correction is gentle and patient and that the Holy Spirit's conviction is not like Satan's accusations and condemnation. They're on two opposite ends of the spectrum. He corrects us patiently. He protects us fiercely. Gives us life, lays it down joyfully for the sheep. And He teaches us faithfully. And I believe, honestly, Psalm 23 probably sums up the kind of shepherd that God is for us because it says this. It says, He leads us beside still waters. He makes us lie down in green pastures and he restores our soul. That's how God cares for us. We're, we're the sheep of his pastor. The Bible uses that analogy. And I've learned a lot about sheep, studying about shepherds and elders. And you know, I've told you this before, but let me summarize it really fast. Sheep are really naive, and they're prone to danger. And we're sheep. <laughs> it's kind of humbling. Almost a little bit offensive to think about it, right? Sheep are naive animals. And guess what? They need human intervention Which throws off, this is a side note, the whole idea of evolution. How did sheep make it, man, for all those (laughs) gazillions of years without. Anyway, that's another sermon maybe for another day. Sheep are an animal that requires human interaction, human intervention, I would say. It's not that they can't function without humans, and it's not that Christians can't function without shepherds. But listen, if you want to. if you just don't want to survive, but thrive and flourish and be the best Christian to be the best sheep that you can be, you need shepherds. You need shepherds after God's own heart. But I, I, I read where sheep are naive and they need human help. They need shepherds. I was watching a, uh, a high speed footage of sheep and shepherds in Australia from a drone and it was exhausting just to see the effort and the energy, the ATVs, the animals, the dogs, and the multiple shepherds it takes just to get sheep safely from one pen to another and out to, to safe grazing pasture. It was exhausting. It took like an hour. And I was like, man, that's how we are. Except God's not wearied and he's not exhausted. But shepherds are. Human shepherds are, aren't they? It's, it's wearisome. Sheep need human invention. And in, in the. The last little mini-series I did in 2018 where we began talking about really this day and what it represents and what shepherds do, we went through all the qualifications of elders, and I'm not going to rehash that here even though it's important. You can uh, download those messages. They're on our website where we go into detail who is qualified to lead in God's church and then what faithful leadership really looks like, and I'd be happy to pass my notes along if you want to dig deeper into that, but I'm not going to talk about that today. I do want to highlight a few additional truths that pertain to us, and then I'm going to let Joe and Steve uh, share their testimony for you at the end of this message here. But the first is this. We here as shepherds, myself and then Joe and Steve, we are under shepherds. We're under shepherds. What does that mean, that we're under the shepherd's feet? And there's, No, it means we are under the chief shepherd. Jesus Christ calls himself the chief shepherd, and we serve underneath him. We are under His authority, and we rejoice in that. We acknowledge that. We don't hide from that or run from that or resent that. We want that. We all need that. We are under shepherds. That means we serve under Jesus Christ. He calls Himself the Good Shepherd, and He's the Chief Shepherd, and we're not Jesus. You already know that if you've been here for any amount of time or been in our home group. We're not Jesus. And the application is this. We don't want to replace Jesus. We would never want anybody to look to us for the kind of hope and spiritual health uh, that jesus alone and the holy spirit can give we're not jesus replacements listen there's enough things that eclipse and replace jesus out there we don't need those in here but i only say that because there is a, a a lot of pastors and maybe i'm no celebrity pastor okay by any stretch but a lot of pastors are they have large congregations they have multiple media outlets and a lot of people look to them almost as if they're jesus and listen they're not john the baptist said said my confession they said, are you the Christ? And it says, he confessed and did not deny, no, I'm not the Christ. In fact, he went further to said, I'm not worthy to untie the sandal straps of Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. And that is our acknowledgement too. We don't replace Jesus. In fact, our role is to exalt him and to help you see him more clearly. Here's, here's our desire, shepherds. We want you to see Jesus more clearly, to know him more fully, That's what a shepherd should want you to do. To follow Him more faithfully. To serve Him more joyfully. And to proclaim Him more effectively. So, see, the attention's not on us, it's on Him. And that's where we want it to be. That's where it needs to be. We must decrease. That's the order of things. The Apostle Peter, in chapter 5 of his letter, he said this. He said, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And in that text, in that passage, in that commandment, is this implicit warning shepherds are among the sheep we are not above the sheep we are among them and listen we're not outside of them either we need shepherding just as much as you do we are sheep who god has made shepherds but we're still sheep and when pastors and congregations forget the role of shepherds listen guys bad things happen terrible things happen in fact i believe that most of the problems in a congregation can be traced back to ineffective leadership our absent leadership altogether that reminds me of a young man who said this he really said this he said i don't believe in pastors i'm like man what do you what do you do with the what do you do with the entire new testament you know jesus believes in pastors and yes we're imperfect shepherds are imperfect elders are imperfect Um, but we serve the perfect shepherd don't we we are under shepherds so let me hit on the other end of the spectrum here okay I meet people all the time. Some of them, in fact, a lot of them find their way here, and they have been part of a congregation that makes them cringe when they hear the word pastor or elder. I mean, I see it visibly. They cringe when they hear the word pastor, shepherd, or elder in the same way that an animal that has been abused cringes when he sees a rolled-up newspaper. They say, oh, no, not that again. Or I grew up on a farm the same way a horse cringes and flinches when it hears spurs and you get on the saddle, right, Jeff? A horse that's been kicked too many times with somebody that really didn't know what they were doing. In the same way, a lot of people that have been in a bad church with bad defective leadership or no leadership at all, they cringe and they say, Oh no, I can't handle that again. I've been hurt. Maybe they've been spiritually abused or they've been misled, relationships have been harmed, trust has been violated, bad things happened. Happens a lot. For a lot of reasons, I'm not going to rehash all of them. I talked about that in a previous message. A lot of the time it's because those qualifications in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3 weren't met. Sometimes it's just leaders that have just gone bad and they get proud and they get arrogant and they start to think, hey, look, I'm above the flock. I'm almost like Jesus up here or I'm outside of the flock. I don't need the same amount of care and don't need the same amount of accountability that they do. And that's just not true. So we see that a lot. And, and there's deep hurt that has been, and resentment sometimes that has been fostered because of people's experience in churches like that. So sometimes when people are treated like cattle, like the shepherd's personal property instead of like sheep who belong to the Lord, that does, it fosters resentment. And it fosters, a lot of times, bitterness. And so there's that one side of the, of the spectrum where elders are, I would say, abusive and, and so full of themselves. And then there's the other side. And sometimes this leads those people that have been hurt to this side where they say, you know what? I'm not doing that again. Uh, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not going to, if, if I'm under a shepherd, he's going to be a pushover. He's going to be a puppet. He's going to be a yes man. He's going to be a shepherd after my own heart and tell me what I want to hear and, and shepherd me the way that I think I like to be shepherded instead of what that passage said in Jeremiah. So instead of a, a a strong, authoritative, maybe somebody who's borderline abusive and they've been hurt and resent and resent that, they want to push over in a puppet. And both of those are a bad idea. And that's the way it was when that passage was written in Jeremiah. They have bad, I mean, the whole spiritual infrastructure had gone bad. The whole thing was bad. The, the, the prophets, the priests, even some of the kings were terrible leaders. They were committing idolatry, they were greedy. They were exploiting and and fleecing the flock of God. Many of them were sexually immoral. And then Jeremiah comes, a a true shepherd after God's own heart, and they say, oh, no, you're not doing this again. And God says, no, 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 he's with me. (laughs) He's actually one of my shepherds. And you know what they did to Jeremiah? His whole ministry was one of tears. What's he called? The weeping what? The weeping prophet. Because God's people just couldn't take him serious. They had been hurt too many times. And they had a hardened, calloused heart. So if we want to be shepherds after God's own heart, we need to look at what the Bible says that looks like. And so I thought, since we're going to hear Joe and Steve's testimony in just a few minutes, I wanted you to hear Peter's testimony. You guys know Peter, impetuous Peter, the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth, who wrote first and second Peter, and he talks a lot about shepherding in there. He says, "Shepherd the flock of God, among which you are overseers, and do it gently. Do it lovingly. do it patiently. He's also the apostle that says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, Peter had learned a really painful lesson, and I want to share that lesson with you for the, just the rest of this short message, okay? Peter did something really terrible the night that Jesus was betrayed. You know what he did? Now, this is the leader of the apostles. This is the guy that Rome would erroneously say is like the, pope, the first pope. This is Peter. You know what he did the night that Jesus was betrayed? He denied Jesus three times. Not once, not twice, three times he denied Jesus Christ. Jesus predicted it. He told him that he would. He said, you're going to deny me. And you remember what Peter said? He said, I'll never do that, Lord. I would never do that. Even if everybody else here, let let me read this to you. I want you to hear the heart of Peter and how God turned him into a shepherd after his heart. Listen to this. This is the night that Jesus predicted his, his denial. Peter answered him, "'Though they all fall away because of you, "'I will never fall away.' "'Jesus said to him, "'Truly, I tell you, "'this very night before the rooster crows, "'you will deny me three times.' "'Peter said to him, "'Even if I must die with you, "'I will not deny you.' "'And all the disciples said the same. "'Do you hear what Peter is really saying?' You know what he's saying here? He's saying, Jesus, I love you more than all of those other disciples. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. That sounds like a pretty tall promise, by the way. Somebody else said that, the only one that could keep it. He said, I'm better than all them, and I love you more than all them, and I'm a strong man, and I'm never going to forsake you or deny you, even though Jesus predicted it. Do you hear his response, though? He's not broken. He's not humble. He doesn't agree with the Lord. In fact, he borderline calls Jesus a liar. He's not vulnerable here. He plays it close to the vest. He's overconfident and he's proud. And Jesus knows that. And Jesus knows if this is going to be a shepherd after my heart. Now listen to me, church. He says, I've got to break him. I'm not talking about the same kind of breaking in Rocky IV where Ivan Drago says, I must break you. I'm not talking about that kind of break, okay? I'm talking about the kind of breaking that... You know, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, one of the prince of preachers in London, used to say, there's only two types of preachers in the world. Humble and humbled, right? And there's a measure of choice on us. Do you want to be humble or you want God to humble you? Because either way, he can't use you until you are. Not only can he not use you, he won't. He won't use you. I believe that's the problem with a lot of pastors, man. They haven't been humbled. That sounds proud to say like, you know, they haven't been humbled like me. I'm humble and I'm proud of it, church. I just want you to know I'm not saying that. God's broken me plenty of times. He does every Sunday when I preach and leave and say, man, what, what the heck was that? <laughs> it's funny, you get in your car and you're leaving, I have a little test. If we get past, if Sarah and I are riding together and I get past racetrack and she hasn't said anything, <laughs> or she gets in the car and she gives me that pat on the back like, you can get them next week, Tiger, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, but even more than preaching opportunities, there's a lot of things that are humbling about shepherding, but... Peter needed to be humbled. See, he made a promise to Jesus, and he broke that promise, didn't he? He said, I'll never, I'll never deny you, and he did three times. One person said this, when you make a promise, it's almost like putting yourself in your hand like water. And you've tried to do that before, like I have probably. When, you, when you, your fingers spread and the water falls out, uh, you lose the water, and when you break a promise, it's almost like you lose yourself. You, you lose part of yourself. Peter denied Christ three times that night, and it broke him. Boy, did he fall hard. If you know that story, I'm going to read it to you in just a second. He broke hard. In fact, I was sharing this with with my wife this morning. You know, when Peter denied Jesus the third time, Mark's gospel brings out most of the emotion in people in the stories, and it says that Peter denied Christ to the servant girl for the third time, and he was so broken, so angry, it says he invoked a curse on himself. Peter was lost that night. He didn't know who he was anymore. And you know, Peter denied Jesus three times, and Judas betrayed Jesus. It's interesting, it's an interesting study, guys, to study those two different acts. Jesus predicted that Judas would betray him. And then he said, Judas, what you do, do, what you do now, go and do quickly. And Jesus, and Judas went out into the night, it says. And he denied Jesus, and eventually, what did he do? He hung himself. He killed himself. He committed suicide. He couldn't handle what he had done. But Jesus predicted Judas would would do that. He said, whoever dips his bread in the sop with me is the one who would betray me. And he, he sent him out into the night. He predicted Peter would do it too, but he said something different with Peter. What did he say to Peter? He said, Peter, Peter. Listen, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan wants you, Peter. And then he said this, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you, Peter. And he's not saying you're not going to fall. He knew he would fall. He already predicted it. He said, so when you return, strengthen your brothers. See the difference between Judas and Peter? One of the differences is Peter repented of his sin and Judas didn't. Peter repented, Judas didn't. The other is this, Jesus prayed for Peter. Man, Of all the people you could have praying for you, and it means a lot when you tell me, hey, pastor, we're praying for you, praying for your sermon, praying for your wife, praying for your kids, for your ministry. Thank you. Please don't stop. I'm like Spurgeon. The minute you stop praying for me, tell me and I'll stop doing ministry here. But listen, to know that Christ intercedes for me, oh man, what a powerful promise and reminder and how liberating that is. Jesus prayed for Peter that night. I want you to see this scene here. This is pretty amazing. This is how it went down, okay? I want you to see, this is Peter's story, and this is how Jesus shepherded Peter. And this is how I want to shepherd you. This is the lowest point in in Peter's life. This is after, uh, you you remember, Jesus was arrested in the garden. All the disciples ran away. The chief shepherd has has been struck, and the sheep flee. But Peter and John followed Jesus at a distance. They stayed close, right? Right? And it says that Peter stayed close enough to where, I'm not going to give you all the details, but he found himself eventually inside the courtyard, and they were having a little mock trial up up outside of uh, Pontius Pilate's balcony up there. And Peter was down here in the courtyard, and it says that a charcoal fire had been made, and Peter was warming himself by the fire, okay? And this is what happened. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man, Peter, was also with him, for he too is Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And you remember Jesus told him, before the rooster crows, Peter, before dawn, you'll deny me three times. And look at verse 61. This, does this not give chills to you, to your blood? And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now, now, church, wrap your mind around this. Here's here's Peter, self-confident, overconfident, proud, and calloused. And exactly what Jesus said he would do, Peter did it. But Luke's version is the only one that has this encounter, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. In Greek, these verbs are like electric. Electric. This is like you have to, it's not Jesus' head, he just kind of said, ha ha, told you so. It's not that. This turn, it means like a literal. He turned his entire body 180 degrees and locked eyes with Peter. It's not a glance, it's a gaze. It's a a deep and penetrating gaze. Now, can you imagine what that must have been like for Peter? Because I think this, I used to think this for years when I would read that. Man, I, you couldn't pay me $100 million to be in Peter's shoes and see that look from Jesus. In fact, I look for some good artwork. Can you put the one up that I found? I think most people miss the boat. You guys can't even see that. I'm sorry. That's a dark piece of artwork. Look, it's got Peter turned away and the rooster or two there. That's not what the text says. It says that Jesus locked eyes with Peter. Now, if you ask most Christians, I think in America, what kind of a look was that? You know how they're going to answer? Oh, it was, the, it was a, a look of disgrace. It was a look of anger and deep resentment and disappointment and judgment. Peter saw the eyes of judgment in Jesus that night. That's what most people think. That's what I thought for years. But I don't believe that. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that that's the way that Jesus shepherded Peter. And you say, how do you know that? Well, the rest, we have the rest of the story in the New Testament. Listen, Jesus told Peter, look... You're the lead apostle. You're not the pope. That's another sermon. He's not the pope, guys, okay? Far from it. But he said, you're going to be the leader of the apostles, Peter. And the confession you just made, you're one of the first ones. The the, the church is going to be built on this rock. I'm going to build my church on this rock of your confession. And the gates of hell we will not prevail against it. But Peter's not there. He's a cowardly, lying, conniving, calloused man this night. And Jesus has got to change that. So how? Is Jesus going to take a coward and a liar and a proud man and break him and make him into a shepherd? How's he going to do that? (laughs) Love changes people, guys. You know that if you've been at Grace Life very long. Love changes people. So I want to show you Peter's restoration. And listen, this could be a really long sermon. I don't want it to be. I'm going to revisit this again in the future because this impacted me this week. So I've been just ruminating in this passage, and all the tributary passages all week long. I'm going to tell you a few ways, okay, that this happened. The first way is this. Whenever Jesus was resurrected from the dead and the ladies ran to the tomb, they found an angel there inside the tomb of Jesus. And do you know what that angel told those ladies? Listen to this. He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. You go tell the disciples and you tell Peter, I'm going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. I get chills in my blood thinking of that. See, Jesus knows us intimately. He's that kind of shepherd. He knows his sheep and he knows... Peter's a broken man. Peter went out that night and he wept bitterly because for the first time in his life, he saw who he was and what he had done. He saw his weaknesses. And listen, you will never grow as a Christian until you see yourself in the mirror of God's word and see who you really are and let the surgeon, the Holy Spirit, open you up so that God can put you back together again. And Peter was halfway there. He's halfway there. Jesus doesn't leave us weeping bitterly in the dark, does he? Think, aren't you glad? Praise God we have a shepherd like that. But if you think that look is the deep, penetrating look of judgment, that's exactly where you'll stay is in the dark, weeping bitterly, and you'll never be restored. And I've met plenty of people like that. Dwelt there a few years myself. That's not where God leaves us. So that was the beginning when he said, you go tell Peter, I want to meet him in Galilee. And so in John chapter 21, there's this beautiful story of Jesus' third appearance after his resurrection. You know how amazing the Holy Spirit is in showing us in Scripture? Do you know how many times Jesus appeared to his disciples? All of them really denied him. All of them fled in fear. When Jesus was arrested and none of them showed up when he was resurrected from the dead. Humanly Humanly speaking, that was probably the lowest point of Jesus Christ's life as a human being. He'd been telling them for three years on the third day, on the third day, on the third day. And guess what? On the third day, he walked out of the tomb, ta-da, and who was there? Nobody. Nobody was there because nobody believed him. So Jesus, after the resurrection, three different occasions, he appears to his disciples. And if you read those occasions, you know what he says? Peace to you. (laughs) Don't you love that? Jesus shows up to the fearful cowards, the proud men that made all these boasts and didn't keep any of them, and he says, peace to you. I'm the risen Lord and I'm here in resurrected glory to restore and renew you and to share this, this good news with the entire world. But first, he's got to bring them to a place of peace because they're scared to death and they're doubting his love for them, just like we do, just like we do. So he appears and he says, peace to you. But the greatest, the grandest appearance you're going to find anywhere in the, in the scripture is in John chapter 21. And this is how it went down. Peter is still afraid. So he goes, he goes back to Galilee In John chapter 21, Peter's the leader of the apostles now. And you know what it says? He went to the apostles and he said, I'm going fishing. And all of them went with him. You guys remember this? I think Peter's still afraid. I think he still says, you know what? Jesus called me to be a fisher of men. I can't do it. So I'm going to go back to what I'm good at, to what I know. Fishing for fish. And so it says he and the disciples went out all night and they were fishing and they didn't catch anything. And early the next morning, there's this mysterious figure walking on the beach. You know who it is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And he called out and he said, little children, have you caught anything? And they said, no, Lord. And he said, look, take your net and drop it on the right side of the boat. And they do. And you remember what happens? The, 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 they can't even haul in the net hardly. There's 157 fish that they catch, John's gospel says. And instantly John remembers. The apostle John, the beloved apostle, says it's the Lord. And something amazing happens. I want to read it to you. You can turn over there if you have a copy of God's Word because you start to see a different Peter here. John chapter 21, verse 7. Thank you. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Now, he's not swimming away from shore, guys. <laughs> he's swimming to Jesus. Why? Something's changing here. Jesus has appeared three times, said, peace to you. You guys remember back in Matthew chapter 5 when, when Peter caught an abundance? Same thing happened. Jesus, for the first time, introduced himself to Peter. They'd been fishing. They hadn't caught anything. He said, toss it on the other side. They did. The, the nets were breaking almost. And you remember what Peter said? Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. I can't stand to be in your presence because I know you're holy. Which was the right response, but it wasn't full repentance. Look, look over here. Look at this verse. He's swimming toward Jesus now. He's, he's starting to understand God's love for him. So he swims to the beach, and then let's fast forward the, the tape here down to, down to verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Hmm. Remember that? Remember last time you found a charcoal fire in the New Testament? It was when Peter was warming himself, denying Jesus three times. Jesus is about to do something really radical here, guys, and I don't want you to miss this. Jesus shepherds his sheep so faithfully and so well. Many people that read this, they would say Jesus is rubbing Peter's face in it. That's not what he's doing, though. Peter and Jesus need to have an encounter, and Jesus needs... For Peter to own up what he did, he needs him to see who he really is. He hasn't done that yet, so Jesus is going to remind Peter. Look, this is who you are, and this is who I am, and I want to restore you, Peter. You're still the leader that I'm calling to shepherd my sheep, but you got to be a humble leader. So check this out. There was a charcoal fire with fish laid out on it, and Jesus said to them, "Bring some of the fish that you have caught." So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the fish, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153. I got my math wrong again there, sorry. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now let's, let's jump down to verse 15 here. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Man, this is a powerful moment. Do you remember the upper room, the betrayal? Remember what Peter said? Lord, even if all of these deny you, I'll never deny you. I'll go to prison. I'll even die for you. You know what Peter was saying in the upper room? I love you more than these. And Jesus is, he's bringing him back. He's saying, hey, Peter, Peter, some time has gone by. You've seen a lot about yourself. See the charcoal fire here? We're warming ourselves. We just had breakfast. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He doesn't say more than these though, does he? You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time. Why did Jesus ask Peter this three times? Because he denied him three times. You see what Jesus is doing here? Do you see how tender and loving and faithful of a shepherd he is to Peter? He's not rubbing his face in it, guys. He's not being insensitive here. He's helped, he knows exactly what Peter needs, and he knows exactly what you and I need. He's saying, Peter, you're not as strong as you thought you were. But Peter, listen, that doesn't change the role I have for you. I still want you to be a shepherd. I still want you to serve me, and I still want you to serve my people. But you're going to have to draw strength from me, and you've got to quit this nonsense of thinking I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. You've got to own up to it, Peter. Peter. That's a shepherd after God's heart. That's shepherding like Jesus does. And man, do I want to be a shepherd like that. And and to me, that's why that look that that Jesus and Peter had in the courtyard wasn't a look of judgment. It was a deep and penetrating look. It It was a look, maybe some disappointment, sure, in the same way you're disappointed with your children. It was a look of love. It was a look of love. In fact, it's interesting, if you want to get nerdy about the sequence of events in the New Testament, that look was after it says they had punched Jesus, plucked out his beard, spit on him, Told him to prophesy and blindfolded him and punched him when he couldn't. So that look would have been a bloody look. Jesus would have been drenched in blood, beginning to resemble the bloody pulp that he was going to look like hanging on that cross. And I believe that, that look, probably Mel Gibson, maybe closer to any other movie I've seen, pegged it. Jesus is just, you know, Jim Caviezel looks, he's got this blood drenching on his face and it's almost as if he says, I've covered even this sin, Peter. I've covered even this sin. You still belong to me, and I belong to you, but it's not you who aren't going to forsake me. It's me who's not going to forsake you. And that's what he's doing here. That's what he's doing here. That's what happens. So let's, let's finish this out. And he said to him the third time, "Simon, son of John, do you love me?" Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, "Do you love me?" And he said to him, "Lord? You know everything. He just gives up. He's like, Lord, you know my heart. I don't even know my own heart anymore, Lord. You know it. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Guys, that's restoration. That's shepherding after God's heart. And I will tell you this, that's true repentance. That's full circle repentance. Peter recognizing who he is, who Jesus is, and turning from his sin and turning back to Christ. And that's the kind of shepherd that I want to be. And I know that's the kind of shepherd that Joe and Steve want to be. We want to care for the flock of God with tenderness and with compassion and instill hope in you encourage in you and help you to serve God faithfully in the communities that He's put you in. So listen, I know that this is a new year and at some point this year you're going to feel the gaze of Jesus upon you. I just don't want you to forget what kind of gaze it is, guys. It's God's love that changes us and that transforms us. And if I want to be a good shepherd... I'm going to be reminding you of that and pointing you toward that gaze every time that you need it. It's a, it's a redemptive gaze, gaze and it's filled with hope. And that's what brought Peter out of the darkness. Aren't you, aren't you thankful that we are not saved by following Jesus, but by trusting Him? I don't let me sound confusing, but your faith is not in how devoutly you, you follow God. You're supposed to pursue righteousness. I'll say it this way. Pursue righteousness. But don't count on your righteousness to save you at the final day. Count on the righteousness of Christ. The object of our faith is what saves us and rescues us. It's Jesus. And God is gracious to give us shepherds after His own heart. And I want to introduce you to two of them. I want to ask Joe and Steve to go ahead and make their way up here. And as they do, I just want to read to you. I know I preached on this. I want to read to you. Just uh, This is Titus chapter 1. Verses 4-9, through I want to read this, and then I want to let them share their testimony, and then we're going to pray over them. Titus, uh, Paul wrote this to Titus, his son in the faith. He said to Titus, My true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Savior, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, The husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. I'm thankful... That we have two men here who meet those qualifications, not perfectly. Our only Jesus would be an elder, um, but they're looking to Christ for help and for faith. so uh,
1: There are those
0: that have um, what I would call a lightning strike
1: testimony, where God has saved them out of uh, some addiction or some terrible lifestyle. Um, mine is not that way. Um, Mine, in fact, I've struggled for some years and to figure out when I actually was saved, that, uh, that has been settled now. Um, there's not a lot of advantages to growing old, I can tell you that, but one of the advantages of growing old is you can look back over your life and see how God um, worked in your life. He has always been faithful, even when I was not faithful. How he arranged circumstances in my life and how he put people in my life that, um, uh, that love me, that uh, encouraged me, that uh, helped me in my walk. And I am, I'm greatly thankful to him for that. I had the blessing of being born into a Christian home. Uh, grew up on a, in a small town in Kentucky, and um, not only were we at church every time the door was open, my mom played the piano and my dad was a deacon, so. We were usually the ones to open the door at the church, so we were, we were always there. Uh, I thought for a moment Tommy had plagiarized my testimony this morning because he, uh, he talked about two things that were very instrumental in my life. Uh, one of those was sheep. Uh, for some reason, my dad decided to add sheep to uh, our animals on the farm one year, and uh, as a young boy, um, one morning they didn't come in for their their allotment of hay and so my mom bundled me up and out we went looking for the lost sheep and um, it was an icy type of day and and there were some pretty steep cliffs on our farm and uh, i slipped and and nearly went over one of those and uh, i looked at my mom and i said mom um, you know if i'd have died right then i i I, i'd go to hell because I, i don't have a savior to forgive me of my sins, and i at that, at that moment um, I realized that and and I started to uh, as good as good parents, um, both of them questioned me, and my pastor questioned me, and uh, this went on for a couple of weeks and After they were sure that I was of a good understanding of, of what the gospel really was, uh, they presented me as a candidate for uh, for baptism and uh, I, was, I was saved. A couple of years later, we moved to a, a different location, a little larger farm and a little smaller town. I think we had two stoplights, Tommy. I think yours had one. I, we, had, we had two in our, our town. Um, and then uh, following that, uh, I, I left those small town protection where I had a pastor that knew everything that went on, where I had a, a, a whole town that knew everything that went on um, and, of course, parents that, uh, that knew what on, went on in my life and, and those types of protections, I left and went to a, uh, a large university to study engineering. When you study engineering, there's a lot of science that you have to uh, study and, of course, my professors, uh, all of them, collectively convinced me that, uh, that evolution was true and that Uh, the Bible was uh, filled with myths and and could not be trusted, and that was a difficult time in my life, and and quite frankly, I turned uh, away. My faith was was shattered, and I didn't know how to to handle it very well. Um, After graduation uh, and a failed marriage, uh, I didn't know whether I had failed God at that point or God had failed me, neither of which is sound theology. Uh, so um, we went on and, and at uh, some point I had a friend that had, moved, that had moved to Florida and he convinced me that that's what I needed to do was to move down to Florida where the land of sunshine and opportunity, and, and so uh, I left uh, small town Kentucky and moved down to, to Florida. I was traveling back and forth uh, weekends. Airline tickets were pretty cheap back in those days. And I was I was uh, traveling back and forth. One weekend I was uh, set up on a blind date with a girl by the name of Beth from Fort Pierce. And um, neither one of us wanted to be married again, but uh, God was more persistent in that than we were. And uh, two years later uh, I married Beth and. I guess it's about 37 or so plus or minus years at this point since then. I was um, working in a town called um, Coral Springs, Florida and uh, Beth was still living in uh, in Fort Pierce. We did things a little differently back then. We got married and lived apart. Whereas today, it's just the opposite of that in many cases. Uh, but we uh, we lived apart for that first year. We finally settled on a, a place in uh, Wellington, Florida, which was about uh, close enough for me to commute south to my job and, and close enough for her to uh, to be near her uh, family in Fort Pearson. So we we uh, traveled back and forth to that. But when you buy a house, you need insurance. And that's when we met Charlie Barr. And, and Charlie uh, sold us a, an insurance policy and then was faithful to invite us to church. And we had not been attending church at that time, but he was faithful to to invite us to church. And when we didn't make it that first week, he found another paper for us to sign and came back the second week and uh, uh, invited us to church again. Something prohibited us from going to church that week. And so he did a follow up the, the third week and not wanting to have a fourth week, we went to church finally. And, uh, when we did, then the pastor started visiting us. Sometimes God is subtle in his ways of, of drawing us back to himself, and sometimes he's, he's pretty clear. Uh, we got the message and um, and joined the First Baptist Church of Wellington, and, and God knew, though, that things were still not right in my life. He still had some things to clean out of my closet. Um, shortly after we joined the church and started attending regularly, It was announced that there was gonna be a group from the Institute for Creation Research that would be making a presentation at one of the larger churches in the area. And of course, we were all invited to uh, attend that. Well, that really piqued my attention because as I told you earlier, that's where things had had gone awry in my life because of of the issues with creation and and, uh, what I was taught to be the truth of evolution. I went to that seminar that weekend and, and listened to every presenter that I could possibly listen to. God even used some um, people that were more unfaithful to me that were uh, uh, talking and asking, asking the same questions that I had in my mind. But these people were there for, uh, to challenge the presenters. And so God, I don't know if they were atheists or not, but God was using them to ask the questions that I was too afraid to ask or too embarrassed to ask. But uh, that weekend seminar answered every single question that I had about, about the truth of uh, creation, about God's faithfulness, and about how he, um, <clears throat> how his word is truth and can be relied upon. So uh, he, he cleared up that area in my life, and, and I'm grateful to him for that. He continued his pursuit of me by putting in my life other godly men that, uh, that, that loved me, that prayed for me, uh, that, that cared for me. In 1995, I, I accepted a job in Daytona Beach. Uh, we moved up here as a family and settled on a church, uh, settled on attending First Baptist Church of Ormond, uh, which later became Riverbent church. Uh, Riverbend is, um, if you don't know, is the church that uh, the families and the pastors from Riverbend are the ones that originally founded uh, uh, Grace Life and and came over here at that point. But I got the privilege of sitting under the preaching of Pastor Roy Hargrave and uh, learned at that point the doctrines of grace and learned so much of the Bible from that uh, godly man. Learned what a reformed church meant and you know, that was the third time in my life that I almost felt like I'd been saved again uh, because, uh, because the, the message of God's love, of His, of his caring, uh, became, of His grace uh, became so clear to me at that point. So my testimony is really not about me so much as it is about those faithful people that God put in my life, about those ways that um, he was faithful to call me to himself um, <clears throat> i wanted to mention uh, charlie bar by by name because you know we've not all been called to preach we've not all been called to teach um, but here's an insurance salesman that had a remarkable impact on my life there was an electrician that did the same thing there was a um, uh, a karate teacher that did the same thing. I'm not a black belt, by the way. I, I think I got my yellow belt finally after after a year of struggle. Uh, but God has placed men in my life that uh, have encouraged me. And I hope that, that Joe and I can be an encouragement to some of you all. Uh, and I hope you can be an encouragement to maybe your neighbor, uh, maybe somebody whose house you work on, uh, maybe somebody's... Um, you know, that you become acquainted with or that you see in a restaurant because that's the body of Christ and that's how God reaches people. That's how he reached me. Uh, When I wasn't faithful, he was always faithful to me.
2: Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, As Tommy mentioned earlier um, that my mom passed this Monday So this is going to be a little rough. (laughs) I didn't realize just how much uh, of an emotionally tumultuous time this would be for me. My mom lived with us for the last four and a half years, and we grew very close to one another. Along with my wife, Marilyn, we cared for her where she couldn't care for herself uh, because of various physical ailments that she had. But I do appreciate you praying for me, praying for us as we walk through this. Um, Certainly couldn't do it without all of your prayers and support and the the cards that are flowing in, and just really am grateful to have family like you. Well, in talking about my testimony, it's um, a little bit different from Steve. Um, Mine was more like that lightning strike that happened. And again, I'm not too sure how I'm gonna get through this today, (laughs) so bear with me. Um, I'd really like to, in some way, hopefully, encourage the men who are listening today, and for those who will hear this beyond this day, um, about the possibility of you being an elder. And there's many qualified men here that I'm looking at across this auditorium. And there are many who are on their way to being qualified as well. And so I would encourage you to ask the Lord on a regular basis, is this something that he's calling you to? And that's not just for the men. That's for the women of this body as well who can encourage the men in their lives whether they be husbands or or whether they're your brothers or your their auntie or their grandma we we all have a part in it so I'd encourage you to to look at the men in your lives and encourage them along and just help them to uh, to maybe see what the Lord is doing in their life and just wanting to move them in a place of leadership within the church. Um, and, and another thing that, you know, just in, in, in being different from Steve's testimony is I know often we can think of uh, all the things that would disqualify us uh, as, you know, being able to be an elder in the church being a leader in the church and um, I I want to uh, in some way just tell you and and show you that that isn't necessarily true no matter what your past looks like no matter what your present situation looks like Um, I was not brought up in a Christian home actually far from it Um, I was brought up in a home where there had been generational familial alcoholism and as far back as I can remember, lived under uh, the oppression that alcoholism brings and everywhere I went, I was surrounded by it and even lost my brother prematurely at age 53, to to alcoholism as well, but it didn't. It wasn't just about alcohol in my family. I I went on, I I exceeded in the debauchery and the the sin that my predecessors were found themselves in. I, I entered into the, the world of drug addiction and, and addiction to pornography as well. And I, I saw myself as hopeless, very hopeless. And I was addicted to alcohol at age 18. Addicted to various sorts of drugs including cocaine my early 20s, and all this while being married to my lovely wife, and if it wasn't for the Lord's intervention, uh, she would have been a single mother of three, and I would have been dead in an alley somewhere from a drug deal gone bad or some other horrific thing. But that's not what I want to focus on. That's what. That's not what I want you to remember. What I want you to know is that God changed all that in a mighty and powerful way. And I'll Try to be as brief as I can. Uh, I was involved in a car accident that was not my fault. How, how that could have ever happened, I, I don't know. Uh, in the condition that I drove a motor vehicle for most of my adult life to that point, and yet I was I was hit in the rear and. Had uh, from that particular accident had discs just knocked out of place in my neck and I was uh, at the time working as a carpenter and I had tremendous pain tremendous headaches and also lost feeling in both my arms down to my hands where I would be working And at that time, we swung hammers. We didn't shoot nail guns. And uh, I I would lose tools out of my hands because I couldn't feel them. And there was, uh, there was of course the pursuit of a lawsuit that, uh, you know, this person that hit me in the rear, you know, this was gonna be my opportunity to strike it rich and uh, not have to worry about a thing ever again. Except for the fact that I couldn't work and couldn't really enjoy life the way I thought was enjoying life in the midst of drugs and alcohol and pornography. And uh, through all of that, uh, there was a... It just grew to a point where it was that time I needed to make a decision You know do I sue this person who hit me or not and um, for whatever reason that was the first major way that I saw God intervene in my life I I just couldn't bring myself to do it Uh, I just felt like I, I couldn't bring that kind of hurt and damage and pain into someone else's life and decided not to do it. And of course, that set off a whole, you know, problem with attorneys and everything else and everything that everybody worked for, supposedly, for my benefit. And yet, uh, what, what happened out of all of that was we decided to settle for what was in the insurance policy of that person, which was not a whole lot of money but it covered our medical expenses and got us caught up to date on our other expenses that we had. And it left us with about, about $1,200 or so. And at that time, 36 years ago, that was plenty of money to go on a little vacation. Something that we hadn't done in the first six years of our marriage, and so we decided to uh, Let's go to Disney. Let's, we'll bring the kids to Disney. And we had the ultimate setup because Marilyn's aunt and uncle lived here in the Orlando area. They had children, adult children who worked at Disney. They could get us these free tickets and uh, we could stay with them. Oh, stay with them? Mm, Mmm, I don't know whether we want to stay with those preaching born-again type folks. We're, we're not really up for that. Uh, yeah, we're, we're just selfish enough to, to put up with that for a week, and, and that's what we decided. We were going to do that. So we did, having no idea what God had in mind for us. And sure enough, as soon as we came down to Florida, we uh, we were arriving on a Friday, I believe it was, December 8th, and, um, and uh, of course, Marilyn's uncle faithfully asked us if we would want to come to church on Sunday, and we were like, okay, well, I guess we better do this. We're staying at their house, and they're really nice folks, and we don't want to upset them or hurt their feelings, so we did, and uh, you guys probably all know the church. It's Calvary of Orlando big church that is ominously set on i4 down by Lee Road well before they had that big building we were a part of uh, church service there where the the preacher who uh, we we still are hoping to touch base with here at some point his name is Alex Clattenberg he preached a me- uh, a message that I can't really tell you what he even said, but all I know is that he invited anyone who was sitting in the seats to come forward if we wanted to talk about things that weren't going well in our lives, things that we had hoped that we could change. Well, you know, the traditional way of doing that is everybody's heads are bowed, and you know, everybody's in a prayerful attitude and so on, and I'm sitting on the end of the aisle, and then there's Marilyn's aunt and uncle, and Marilyn's in in the aisle a little ways, and she's thinking, oh, wow, you know, I, I really need to, I need to just walk up there and talk to this man. And she's feeling like, oh, yeah, but I can't do that. Joe would freak out, and he's going to just go nuts if he sees me walking up there. And, and she looked up. And I was halfway down the aisle <laughs> and uh, so she joined me, and we uh, we uh, we were kind of moved to a, another room off the side of the the uh, main auditorium, and uh, Marilyn's uncle took us through the scriptures and and we were uh, <laughs> by god 's grace able to uh, received Christ that day and uh, it, it definitely it, it changed our lives shortly after that we attended a, a prayer meeting and during that prayer meeting I was prayed over and I was healed miraculously healed of the this that were out of place the the numbness the headaches the alcoholism the the drug addiction it all went in one fell swoop boom gone not a dt not a not a uh, anything that looked like or felt like any of that ever again and and we were changed in an instant and it really was like a lightning bolt out of heaven that that hit us and in the words of Matt Carney, we were just young and dumb and in love with the Lord Jesus. And we were on fire. We just were totally sold out. We, me particularly, I knew that I had, I had been forgiven of much in my life. And I just wanted to show my gratefulness in any way I could. Well, we, we packed up our stuff, sold it all, sold our house, and went to the mission field. <laughs> it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. You know, we, we, we didn't know what we were doing, but, but, you know, we had some help along the way, and, uh, and the Lord was gracious to us, you know. He never let us fall totally flat on our face without being there to pick us up. And we fell on our face numerous times. Um, but the, the, the real you know, blessing to it all is that God, in all of that, He restored my marriage. I mean, that was like a miraculous work. <laughs> it had to be for how much I damaged it and instead of a single mom of 3 and me being dead in some alley somewhere he's blessed us with nine children and 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 we have you know number 15 16 and 17 grandchildren on their way this this year and we we are just richly blessed in every way as, as a husband and wife, as a family and, and he's put us here you guys are family for sure and this, this is exciting to us this is what we need for sure, Um, as far as eldership goes, I mean, it's an honor, it is an absolute honor and privilege to be able to serve Tommy, serve Steve, serve all of you as well, and I want to do that. To the best of my ability by teaching you through God's Word and by example. And I want to lead you to those green pastures that you can feed yourselves in and find rest as well. And I want to protect you from the voracious wolves who are out there who only seek to scatter and devour the flock and I want to gather the strays who wander from the fold and by God's grace I with my brothers here will be able to to do that but as we as we together serve in this capacity please pray for us like you've never prayed before for us we, we need that We need that more than anything. As Tommy said, we're still sheep, we're still sheep. We may have been called to positions of leadership here, but we need your prayers. We need your input. We need your collective wisdom, and we need to be held accountable, and that's part of your job. For us. So, look forward to serving you all to the best that I can. Feel free to call on me at any time, day or night. We're kind of used to that, having nine children. Uh, and uh, my, my phone number is available, my email is available. So, uh, please. Um, Feel free to for, for doing that. I love you all and uh, look forward to what God has for us in the coming years here at Grace Life. Thank you.
0: Lord, what a special day to hear about your power and your grace, uh, both in the testimony of Peter, the way you restored him, Lord, gently as a, as a true shepherd who knows his sheep intimately and loves them fiercely and protects them and feeds them and leads them and guards them and... We heard the testimony of these men. Thank you for your providence in their lives, God. Just how amazing your grace is and the, and the multi-dimensional expressions of it, Lord, in each of our lives at the appropriate timing. You reveal yourself and your saving power, Lord, and you rescue. All of us have our own story of how you rescued us and how you're still restoring us, and we're grateful for it. And I pray for these men. I pray for Joe and for Steve and for Marilyn and for Beth, what tremendous gifts you've given these men and their wives and Uh, Thank you for their friendship. Thank you for the way they serve. They encourage, they're hospitable. They love the flock and uh, just have strong homes, Lord, and and just have cultivated relationships. We're just so grateful to you. You're the giver of every good gift and you're behind all those blessings. And so I pray for them. Help them to lead well with humility and with grace in the way that you lead us, Lord. We're not going to do it perfectly, but help us to, to look to you for forgiveness and hope and strength and power. And I pray for this congregation, we would feel the love of these men, Lord, and we would welcome them and receive their counsel into our lives, Lord. Know they're praying for us. Um, We would see them as friends and not just shepherds, but fellow sheep. Protect them, Lord, from the enemy. Certainly they'll be a target of His. Watch over their homes, their marriages, Lord. Keep them pure and devoted to their wives and their children and their grandchildren and watch over their, their health. And help me to be a good friend and shepherd to them too, Lord. Watch over me and my home. And we pray what a blessing it is. What a gift. We celebrate this today. And I ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus.
3: Amen. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this time. And um, this is also just an invocation, Lord. We invoke you, Lord, to look down and to witness this as the pastor of this church, the lead head pastor of this church, has, has uh, dedicated two great men, Lord, for this service and for this work and uh, we invoke you to watch it, to, to see it, to write it on your tablet, Lord. We know that your spirit is gentle and will hold them accountable, Lord, and um, as the spirit within them uh, guides them, leads them, holds them accountable to this wonderful, mighty work. Um, Lord, we uh, ask you to fill them with your spirit. With wisdom, Lord. The Spirit gives gifts as often as He wills. May they just, when they meet with people, when they visit with people, may they have words of wisdom, words of encouragement, words of knowledge, gifts of healing, just whatever your your Spirit wants to give them, Lord, because the Word tells us that the Spirit gives gifts to profit with all, Lord. They are here to profit the sheep that they are serving. Enable them, Lord, to fulfill, God, what you've called them to today. And we thank you for this community, Lord. We thank you for this this lead pastor over this small assembly in the worldwide church of Christ. May your uh, spirit continue to rest upon us, Lord. Open our eyes to your truth. We pray in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.